Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. The reason that I put this map up here is because I want you to see this. Now, Jerusalem is way south, like way down there where the drumsticks are. You guys can't see it, Uh, but it's way down there. Jesus's ministry does not begin in Jerusalem. Jesus is beginning a ministry that is rooted in Judaism, but he does not start it where there is an epicenter for Judaism. Does that make sense? I mean, it doesn't make sense, but that's what is happening. In fact, it doesn't even begin anywhere near a concentration of Jews. It begins up here in Galilee among all of the pagan Greeks. I've talked about this previously. Jesus goes back to Nazareth for a bit. Then he moves to Capernaum on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. This region of Galilee was the territory given to the Israelite tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. Uh, Way back when Israel had conquered the promised land and then they divide up the land, there was two tribes and they get this land that is on the, the west side of the Sea of Galilee. That's why he references that there, okay? Now, this is important. It's an important detail. It's significant because it's another occasion where the life of Jesus fulfills Old Testament messianic prophecies. Does anybody else geek out over these things like I do? I think it's so fun. I think it's just amazing. And evidently, Matthew did too. So if you don't, all right. Matthew chapter 4, verse 14 is where we're at. I'm going on. So, so he travels through this land that I just pointed out. He says, this fulfilled what God had said through the prophet Isaiah. He said, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. So Isaiah, the, the, these two tribes have already got their land. When Isaiah is speaking these words, he says that this fulfills what God said through the prophet Isaiah, that in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee, this is significant, where so many Gentiles live. Now, This is land that was given to the Jews because they conquered it. And then we go through the history of Israel's rebellion and and captivity and yada, yada. And now we are back in in Matthew chapter 4, what Isaiah has prophesied, land given to the Jews, but now in Galilee where so many Gentiles live. It's part of the prophecy. Verse 16, because it's true now. It's in Matthew chapter 4 now. The people who sat, he goes on. Let me, let me put that all together. In Galilee, where so many Jews live, Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness, speaking of the Gentiles, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its own shadow, a light has shined. Matthew is building the case for the Jews, to the Jews, that Jesus is the Messiah. So this event is kind of a double-edged sword. The Jews would not have liked that Jesus' ministry initiated in Galilee with Greeks who were not chosen. They were sitting in darkness. I mean, can you see the chests of the Jews puffing out as they read Isaiah? These Gentiles, they're sitting in the darkness where death casts its shadow. 
They're a whole people group who had no roots in and no possible understanding of the Hebrew God. So from even our perspective, this light is wasted on these people because they don't understand it. They don't understand the background of it. But Jesus' ministry began just as the prophet Isaiah had predicted 700 years previous. So it kind of makes it hard to argue with the prophetic history of all the places for Jesus to begin his ministry in Galilee of the Gentiles, it just seems unreasonable, right? Go along with me. It just seems unreasonable. Number two, what his message would be. Here's his message. Verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach. Here's his message. Repent. And if you have a New Living Translation, ah, this is painful for me. Uh, I'm going to read it. So repent of your sins and turn to God. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Here's what I was about to say. If you have a New Living Translation you want to write in your Bible, I'm, I'm giving you permission <laughs> to scratch out of your sins and turn to God. Now, some of you are going to say, well, Brent, that's just sacrilegious. Well, look in all, any other translation. Those words don't exist. And there's, there's a reason for it, and I don't want to go off on a tangent because I, I, want, I want to keep it true to the text. So if you're looking at ESV or New American Standard, the children's Bible, uh, they all say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near because that's, that would be a more literal and accurate translation. Well, Brent, aren't you splitting hairs? No, I'm splitting hairs for a reason because there, there is a technicality here that's just really important. So he says, repent. The message of the Old Testament prophets was often repent in the sense of stop sinning or God is going to send judgment, right? Uh -huh. Repent, turn from your sin or God's gonna, you know. <laughs> and they didn't stop sinning. So then God did send judgment. And then they would promise again to stop sinning. And then they sinned again. This is not an effective message. Just gonna let that rest for a second. Because some of you are thinking to yourself, I got I got corrected a long time ago. Somebody we we're talking about baptism. They're like, well, the words of Jesus is repent and be baptized, repent and be saved, repent. Okay. Now Brent comes along and says, this whole turning from sin is not, we'll scratch that out of our Bibles. We've got to find a different church. It's not an effective message. However, well, yeah, it's not an, an effective message. However, the church presently is guilty of preaching and teaching that it will work. You okay? I like, I, like, I like to feel the awkwardness in the room. We say we believe in salvation by grace after you repent. Stop sinning and then you can be saved. And then when unchurched people think that they have to repent 
and then come to church, we're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like I said, Old Testament repentance never worked. I like to get you guys right on the edge. Some of you don't care. Jesus' message is a bridge from Old Testament repentance to New Testament repentance. Old Testament, stop sinning. New Testament repentance is what I preached several weeks ago. Change the way you think. The Old Testament repentance has us turning back to the Old Testament law of Moses saying, how can I be righteous? New Testament repentance is turn to God and change the way you think about righteousness. Change the way you think about God. Change the way you think about salvation. Because salvation, Old Testament, is very different from Old Testament. The way we think about Old Testament salvation is very different from Old, New Testament salvation. Change the way you think about God. Change the way you think about salvation. Change the way you think about sin. Change the way you think about grace. That would have been a pretty new New Testament idea. Change the way you think about forgiveness. And most of all, change the way you think about you. The religious part of us wants wants people to repent before they even know who God is. However, when a person is made aware of and understands and acknowledges the superiority of God, when a person is transformed in their thinking, then their behavior will follow. Paul summarized this just incredibly well in Romans 12 too, just to prove that I'm not making this up. He says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let who? Let God do what? Transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. New Testament repentance. Then, whenever your mind has been transformed by God, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect to him. Repentant actions begin with a transformed mind, not with your decision to, I'm going to be a better person. No, that always ends poorly. But Jesus also tells us why our mind should be changed. He says, for the kingdom of God is near. We're back to our text. I didn't put the slide back in there. Can you go back to the previous slide? I'm just going to mess you all up. I want, I want my text up there. So we're back to, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Israel has historically had a hard time being obedient to God, right? God has been silent for 400 years before John the Baptist began making a ruckus out there in the wilderness. And now Jesus comes along and his message is repent for the kingdom of God is near. Why should we repent? Because the kingdom of heaven, I said God, I wrote in my notes heaven. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, sometimes Diane goes out of town for a few days 
And when she is on her way back home, and I know she's on her way back home, I watch on the Find Friends app. You already know where I'm going with this, right? And when she's, because it'll even tell me on my phone, she's 30 minutes out. And that's when I jump up and I pick up all my dirty laundry and I load the dishwasher real quick and I set the Roomba going. You know, you got to push that button to do the vacuuming now. That's glorious, man. We live in the greatest time ever. Yeah. He says, listen, Jesus says, change the way you're thinking. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is just outside of town. The kingdom of heaven is about to show up in your life and you want to make a good impression. Brent, after 24 years of marriage, you still want to impress your wife? Oh, absolutely I do. One person in this world I need to impress. Oh, baby. You don't want the Messiah to show up and catch you living in a way that does not honor the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is coming closer and closer to you. You do not want the kingdom of heaven showing up and you are living in a way that does not honor the Lord. That's a very simple message, isn't it? It's just very simple. The Old Testament of a message of repentance was, you better obey God or God is going to get you. Jesus' message of repentance is change the way you think. Instead of trying to make yourself righteous so that you can go to heaven, Jesus says, heaven is coming here. Now, because we live on this side of the cross, we know the rest of the story, and, and there, there's more to the story that really completes that sentence. So, so heaven, the kingdom of heaven, is coming here to make you righteous. Change the way you think. It's not about you after all. It's all about the Messiah. It's all about the Savior. It's all about the Son of God who is coming to bring righteousness to you. But Brent, I have to repent and make myself a better person so that I'll be acceptable to God. And that's why he sends his son Jesus, because he knows that every single one of us will fail. You got to get that under your belt, because if you don't understand that, you don't understand the message of salvation. The kingdom of heaven is coming to you to bring the righteousness, not your righteousness, the righteousness of the Son of God to you. It seems unreasonable, doesn't it? You have a holy God sends his holy Son to a messed up sin-filled earth so that rebellious, unholy people can become holy. It's unreasonable. Number three, <clears throat> who he would call. So Jesus is beginning his ministry. He's going to call his disciples to him. He's going to go to the local seminary. He's going to find out who is leaders of their class. He's going to bring those guys in, the guys that dress good, speak well, big personalities. Let's see. One day as Jesus was walking through the halls of the seminary, no, he's walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee for all of those of us that like to fish. Hallelujah. 
One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water for they were fishing for a living. They weren't fishing for fun. They were fishing for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Verse 21, a little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. I'm just thinking while I'm reading that, these guys probably all have known each other for a long time. They grew up in a small fishing village. So you have, you have Simon, Peter, and Andrew, James and John, just fishermen, fishermen out here on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, I'm not sure that Jesus could have picked more regular guys. See, our culture likes to, uh, <clears throat> likes to draw attention to, to, to exalt certain personalities, certain uh, traits, Jesus just goes out and he finds some regular fishermen and he calls them. They're not valedictorians from the seminary. They're not from a prominent or influential Jewish family. These men are as ordinary as they could possibly be. Jesus only asked that they follow him. He says, come follow me. I just want you to think about the word follow. Sorry, I get quiet because I want you to think a certain thing, but then I don't tell you what I want you to think, so then you just don't think anything at all, and I can see it on your face that you're waiting for me to continue forward. Jesus only asked for them to follow him. That's a theme that we saw throughout the Old Testament, sweetheart. Follow God. It's not a social media request. It's a request to share life together. It's a request to learn from Jesus, from sit on the front row and learn from Jesus, to live with him and to watch him, to observe his values and his priorities, to see what Jesus is passionate about and what he ignores. Do you, do you see the invitation to this relationship here? The relationship is follow me. It would have been it's very um, fitting in that culture where if you want to learn from someone, you follow them. You go follow them around. And when they sit down and they'll teach, and, and that's what Jesus did with his disciples. They, they followed him. By the way, just because I'm already messing with people, I'm going to throw this out there. There's no reason to use this text as a call to salvation. Well, Brent, every time I've heard this text preach, it's been a call to salvation. Well, it's not a call to salvation. It's not a call to salvation. Read the story. It's likely that these guys knew enough about Jesus because he had been there for a while to know that he was unique. They probably knew that he was special. They knew that he was different in a good way. They did not know him as Savior he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. See, I have to put it in the way that I memorized it when I was a kid. 
Just follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That was the commitment. Follow me, get to know me, I will make you fishers of men. It is a request to join, join Jesus as he lives his life. As Peter, pardon me, and Peter, his brother Andrew and John and his brother James, they left their nets, probably left their family business, their family, their, all of their friends. They abandoned all that was familiar they left behind their lives and they followed Jesus to learn who he was. That's the invitation, to learn who Jesus is. Because when we discover who God is, God will transform our minds. And then we behave differently. The invitation is to follow me. Learn Jesus, know him. Jesus calls ordinary people. By the way, I think everyone is ordinary. Number two, I mean that as a compliment. Uh, I mean, I think everybody is totally sinful and ordinary, okay? So number two, if you're going to follow Jesus, you are going to have to leave behind your life. You're gonna have to leave behind your life and walk with him, are you okay? If you're going to be a follower of Christ, it is necessary that you follow him. <laughs> That's really genius, isn't it? That's, that's just part of the equation. It's not work salvation because, again, this is not a call to salvation. You, you, just, can't, you just can't follow your own desires and follow Jesus at the same time. This just sprung into my head. You can't continue to be a single man after you're married. All the men, amen. Actually, all the women should say amen. Yeah, you can't follow your own desires and simultaneously follow Jesus because it's a change of mind thing. Contemporary Christianity has redefined being a follower of Christ as asking Jesus to join you in your dreams and desires. If Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John had lived today, they might have asked Jesus for a bigger fishing boat. Or let's pray together for better fishing, fish prices at the market tomorrow. Following Jesus requires going where he wants to go. And as ludicrous as it sounds, Jesus tells these fishermen that he wants to teach them how to fish for people. And they follow him. So unreasonable. Why does he keep saying that? I don't know. What makes his, what, uh, what his ministry would be, what his ministry would be. Matthew 23, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee. If you feel like I'm leaving some doctrine just kind of dangling out there, next week I'm starting the Sermon on the Mount. This is where we've been headed for a couple of months. I can't wait to get there. And I'm just going to let your doctrine wonder until next week. Now, actually, probably the next four or five weeks, uh, because it's going to take some time to resolve it, okay? So if you're feeling anxious, uh, that, that's okay. All right, verse 23, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, 
teaching in the synagogues. By the way, I always thought that the synagogues were primarily Jewish. And this week studying the synagogues were a community center. So there was all kinds of activity that went on there. It wasn't just uh, religious purposes. The synagogues was a gathering place for the community. Uh, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news of the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria. I'm not going to do the map, but it's way up north on the east side. And people began, soon began bringing to him all who were sick and whatever their sickness or disease or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or para paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the Ten Towns, uh, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. Jesus ministered to Jews and non-Jews, which would really mess with the Jews. Jesus announced the coming of the kingdom of heaven, because here it says he, he preached the good news of the kingdom. Well, the good news is not complete yet, because every time after the book of Matthew, when, or after the Gospels, when we say the good news, we're talking about the life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. This is one time that he says the good news of the kingdom. He's just talking about the kingdom of heaven is coming near to you. Something's about to change. Jesus, Jesus healed. I want you to listen to this because this is, this is huge. Jesus healed Every kind of disease and illness. He's, he's divine. He's supernatural. He, he can do that. From Galilee to Jerusalem, all over Judea, east of the Jordan, all the way to the foreign lands of Syria, news of Jesus traveled. Well, of course it would, because you, I, can, I just imagine people are saying things like, he proclaims the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he supernaturally heals all who are sick. And he delivers all who are demon-possessed. It, it is as though God has come to earth. He must be the prophesied Messiah. He must be the savior of the world. He is a supernatural blessing to us, just, not, not just to the Jews, but to every single family in this world. He healed everybody. Jesus has brought the kingdom of heaven to earth. It is, it is as though God himself has come down to become intimately involved in the course of humanity. Are you, are you picturing that? The God of heaven that we celebrate is Elohim, he's Yahweh. We have all these names that point out how wonderful and great and glorious he is. And we worship him as though he's far away. And Jesus' message is that the kingdom, Jesus, not just Jesus', his ministry, his message and his actions are that the kingdom of heaven have, has come right 
here to be intimately involved in your life. The kingdom of heaven coming to earth, showing compassion for sin-filled mankind. Seems unreasonable. It just seems unreasonable. It doesn't make sense. Jesus begins his ministry in, a, in kind of a peculiar way. I'm summarizing because I'm at the end. Jesus begins his ministry in, in a peculiar way. He, he begins his ministry among ordinary people. He calls ordinary men. His message is simultaneously old in repentance and it's new. He supernaturally heals the sick and delivers all those who are possessed. Is it enough intrigue to make you want to follow him? I'm not asking if you want to accept him as your Lord and Savior. That's not my question. It's not my question at all. Just get that out of your brain. Is there enough intrigue about this man named Jesus who says he's bringing the kingdom of heaven to your little world? Is there enough intrigue to make you want to follow him, study him, learn from him? Is there enough intrigue that you would want to share his life so that you can know more about him? I'm not asking you to say a little ditty prayer. I'm asking you to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I encourage you, don't be a spectator of Jesus. Become a fully devoted follower of Christ. Leave your desires behind and devote your life to knowing and discovering who he is. You've been listening to the Desert Heights Church weekly message. We would like to invite you to one of our service times at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings here in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.